Hey guys, welcome to the next installment of Revealing Strength Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Santor, and today we have our next episode of the Jason Rule, the second episode with Jason. So be sure you guys go ahead and pop on over to iTunes or SoundCloud and listen to episode one with Jason because you're going to miss some really, really important things. And again, uh, this is an incredible story that we are more than honored to be able to share with you. So be sure you guys do it justice and listen to episode one before you catch episode two. Thanks. All right, guys. So here we go. Uh, we are here for episode two, just like we said in the intro. And I'm actually going to hand it off to Juliana to touch base and catch us up to where we're starting here with episode two with Jason from Driven Nutrition. Hey, this is Julie again. So we are in our second conversation with Jason and our first one, we we learned a lot about him. We learned a lot about his family. He shared a really personal journey and we ended that one with a couple conversations about this idea of um, as people, as, as athletes, as business owners, entrepreneurs, um, parents, anybody, um, how in life when things get challenging, when we're on a major journey um, or as athletes, if we have a, a major goal in mind, um, it, it can be pretty tough. And especially when we don't necessarily know the outcome or when things are rough, things have been extremely challenging. Um, it's, it's pretty easy to get down on it, to get overwhelmed. And so we just discussed about how small opportunities and taking action on those opportunities, kind of like just putting reps in. Those simple reps day by day, whether it's a, a day, if it's a movement, if it's a new lift, if it's, you know, in Jason's particular example with his family, with his son, it was 10 minutes at a time and how those little steps those provide hope for us and those little flickers of hope those move us forward to the next step and the next point of action and the you know the next thing the next rep and rep by rep step by step um, each each stage in that action plan we move further forward onto that journey and eventually to a place where now um, Jason he can kind of sit back and and think back and look back and reflect on everything that his family's gone through his son's gone through and in a bigger picture too looking how it impacts his business and so we're going to start out with that today this this idea of small steps how they give us hope how they move us forward and I'm gonna have Jason just kind of lead in as you know he's he's the owner of Driven Nutrition and he's as a, as a business owner, he's seen a lot in his years of owning multiple businesses, but currently I'm going to have him share just a, a little example that comes up, pops in his mind of, of how small steps, sticking with something, having a little bit of hope, staying with it, uh, gave him some success in, in his business opportunities or in his, in his business world. Right on. Very cool. Uh, thank you both for having me and kind of helping me and guide me through this uh, journey and these conversations. So building on, building on what you talked about, one of the things that helped, helped me not only from a therapeutic standpoint, but also uh, the day-to-day of getting through those 10 minutes uh, and was attaching myself to what the vision was, what, where are we going, what are the goals, and it was the, the goals and the vision for Driven were so uh, clear, you know, those different moments of clarity that we talked about last time of having those, yeah. those firm mm-hmm. ideas of how this business can work, why it was needed, and then start putting all of those pieces together. One of the things that I had to do at the very early stages was teach myself how to do web design. You know, Valerie was, Valerie had a good job, which allowed me to 
set sail, um, launch driven and, you know, really dig into that. So from a financial standpoint, we didn't have a choice, but for this to be successful. So that combined with the overall vision and the steps that needed to go, one of those was web design and keeping those connections out on social media, keeping those relationships going and the, those conversations going. So that was something that I did day in and day out was in between, you know, uh, checkups with Lakin, which we were pretty much always in Lakin's room. And Val still has, she'll show me pictures every once in a while of me sitting there with my headphones hanging from my shirt and on my MacBook uh, doing different design and different emails and handling order issues and everything else. And we were very small at the time. During Lakin's first surgery, I think we only onboarded one or two new um, affiliates. I think one. I I checked after we got off because I was trying to remember that. So there was, there was downtime as far as the communication and the website, making sure that the images looked good. So mm-hmm. knowing that what's on the other side of this from a business standpoint, not knowing what's going to happen from a personal standpoint and a family standpoint, you can't, you can't mire that down. So having something else to take my focus and being able, being able to see something on, you know, beyond the room that we were in and the situation that we were in seeing, seeing, uh, you know, like we talked about last time, there's still going to be six weeks down the road, no matter what. Yeah. Um, so we still have to continue life. Mm-hmm. Yep. And things go on. I, I like that you use the word having vision beyond, beyond that room, you know, and it, I'm sure it thought you guys had no idea how long you would be in that hospital room or multiple hospital rooms and doctor's offices. And I think probably for you, I think everyone deals with those things differently, but it definitely sounds like you're the type of person to, to have that vision, knowing that life is always going to be there. And, and I think you talked about relationships and especially a business like yours, where you have clients, you have affiliates that are are putting some trust in you, um, in, in your product and maintaining those lines of open communication. I mean, that's, that's, I don't know, I guess to me, that's business relationships, teaching, educating, coaching 101. It really ultimately is. And so even if, even if there is some sort of hiatus or if there is a little bit of a slowdown, or if you said in, in that time frame you, you onboarded maybe one or two, um, still probably keeping that line of communication open, that was essential for you. Even just keeping sharp at that, um, getting used to reaching out on social media and making posts. Um, that's, I mean, it's such a great example. I mean, to, to any of us, you know, anyone who has a brand or who has a company, uh, making sure we don't, you know, we don't neglect those relationships because still that's, that's what makes the world go round. Right. You know, one of the things that, uh, one of the stories I remembered after we talked last time was, and I still wish I could find this email, uh, because I send it off, uh, in kind of a heat of a moment. The, one of the vendors that we worked with placed the orders for all the raws, all of the products and everything else. And the product, the product was a powder and it came in a bottle, a, a pill bottle. It should have come in a jug. So the defining, the defining that one thing on the label really created a lot of trouble. So we had a thousand units of a, of a product land that was in a pill bottle. Uh, it's a disrupt, actually disrupt came in a pill bottle. So if oh. you can imagine trying to take mm-hmm. your fingers and, and no. get that out, no, <laughs> yeah, it, do- it, it just won't doesn't work. work. So I was made aware of that shortly after we got to Denver. And I'd called, emailed, contacted, said, hey, this is what's going on. How do we fix this? And it wasn't until probably two weeks, 
right before we were about to be released with Lakin, there was no communication. Like, okay, and I, I, we just needed to fix it. We had a lot of product. We needed to be able to get it out there. I sent an email off. I took a picture of the room I was sitting in, which was uh, Lakin in the seat or in the in his in his warmer with all the monitors, you know, lights on, everything else. And I just said, I'll stop for just a second. Building building relationships is 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 vital. Maintaining the integrity of those relationships in tough times is more important, I think. So having the having the the fortitude to say, no, this is enough. This stops now. At that moment, for me, was a very clarifying moment because everything that was going on, I finally just said, this stops. And looking back, that has really established a lot of the way that I deal with, with you know, whether it's our, our vendors, any of our customers, being very candid and in the moment and being present instead of putting together a very well-polished, professional, great email, but just being very genuine and letting the situation, both parties know what the situation is and here's how it needs to be fixed or here's how it needs to be handled for everybody to be happy. So I remember I took this photo and sent it to him and I said, and I'm, I'm going to paraphrase here, I still can't find the email. I wish that I could. I said, uh, please know, first of all, I do not want a personal response from you. Uh, we're past that point. Over the last two weeks, I've sent you four emails. Here's the dates of them. In that time, I haven't left this room except for breaks, and most of the time my wife hasn't either. I said, this is the room where my uh, two-week-old had to have open-heart surgery, and we've been going through all of that. So if you have a better reason for not responding to my requests and my emails, I would like to know so I can wish you the best and apologize for the situation that you're in. If you don't, let's get to work and get this fixed. I mean, that's to me, that's an action plan. That's a step. You know, you're moving forward. And so you, you shared a very clear expectation with that individual. And, you know, you still shared something personal and genuine. And I think that's something as just a, as someone who, who, why I was attracted to your company. It doesn't seem like smoke and mirrors like a lot of other companies are. And it's yeah. not all about the show of it. And I think, I know that's really important to you. And it's, there's a, there's an honesty to it. And especially when you are, consuming something you know especially ingesting it into your body that's something I think a lot of athletes just a lot of people will care about um but yeah I mean I think that email perfect example of just taking a step forward and then you know and then moving on with it and whatever happened you know would have to happen next yeah and everything ended up uh, ended up getting fixed and everything but was fine but the lesson that I learned in that moment of just having the strength of moving forward of Okay, this is right. this is the thumbprint that I have to put on this. No one, no one else is going to. This guy obviously isn't going to to own the situation. So, just without ranting and raving, here's the absolute truth of everything that we're involved in. Do you have a better reason for not responding? Because I can't think of one. Well, and at the end of the day, I think that happens. It happens on a lot of different circumstances, but it's easiest and it's the most tangible part of it is obviously in business where there's a situation where something needs to get done and maybe you delegate 
to an individual or maybe you hire someone else to do it and maybe you can do it yourself. Maybe you're more than able to, but is it worth your time or is it worth your energy to put that in to do it yourself? But at the end of the day, if it can't get done, if the person that you've paid can't produce a good product, if the person that you delegated to does a poor job, when push comes to shove, it's always going to fall back on on that person's shoulders. And at that time, and that's one reason why I've always had a lot of respect for you and respect for Driven is you take a tremendous amount of pride in time in your day-to-day making sure that things get done. And it's it's pretty obvious. And you you have to know where the buck and when the buck stops. And if you can figure that out earlier on in business and be comfortable with like, hey, it's always going to start, stop, and end with me, you're going to be extremely successful. And that's that's with everything. I mean, just the account of, the self-accountability in sport and training and coaching, if you can look at yourself in the mirror and say, hey, it, it starts and it stops with me at the end of the day. Like I'm responsible for everything that I'm going to accomplish and you don't blame other people and you don't make excuses for yourself or for other people around you, you're going to be extremely successful in whether it, whatever endeavor that is that you're going to take on. Yeah. Just right. being self-aware as an athlete. I mean, how many times have we blamed a coach? We blame the weather. We blame the officials. We blame, you know, I didn't eat breakfast today, whatever it might be. It's just like really ultimately it comes down to you because you can make a decision on what to eat. You could make a decision on how to communicate with your coach. You could make a decision on how you reacted in that game situation. So. Or, or like we talked about last time, indecision is a decision of itself. It <laughs> oh, still has yeah. consequences. So, yeah. if you look back, you know, I heard a, uh, I saw a quote the other day. I said, uh, "The minute you decided to be an entrepreneur is the minute you stopped being able to make excuses." Mm-hmm. And the same, you know, really that goes for everything in life. Athlete, you know, you can't. If you want to be an athlete, take responsibility for your situation. You know, the same goes for parenting. The minute you decide to be a parent. Your ability or your reasoning for excuses stops. You can't make excuses anymore. You know, I'm too busy. I, you know, the the diet's wrong. You know, the list goes on and on and on. But just taking that accountability is so important yep. uh, to heart. The hard thing is, is as we've grown and early on, that's easy to do. That 100% ownership of the situations, uh, making sure that everybody is taken care of. But now we're at the point to where we have to make sure that that culture transforms the individuals that we bring on into the team and make sure that the the hiring process that we have, whether it's for employees, um, athletes, anything else, that that it does fit that culture, that that, that DNA. Uh, I don't like using Gary Vaynerchuk quotes very often, but it it really does speak uh, uh, firmly. It is the DNA of what it is we're trying to do. Yeah. And so being able to let go and delegate some of those things are important. But in the end, it still does fall back onto the leadership of who owns this problem. If, if, if I delegate it out so strongly and I don't have any type of control over the situation, am I then free to say, well, it wasn't my fault. It wasn't me. Hell no. I mean, it, it's still like somebody has to own it. And it's a, it's we're at that stage now where we're progressing into the delegation and making sure that the people that are on the team that are taking over different tasks, different duties are very well entrenched with the mindset of we own this. If I touch it, I own it. It's kind of like, it's kind of like handing off a baton at a relay. 
watching somebody go around the track. Once that baton is handed off, he can't complain about the person on the first leg about how shitty his handoff was. You've got it, dude. Run your race. Right. Well, yeah. I mean, that's so every day I work with I work with a couple hundred high school athletes and um, at least that's the that's the hustle right now. And one <laughs> one thing one thing that I tell them every day is like, you know, well, coach, I forgot my I forgot my wrist wraps. Coach, I forgot my shoes. Coach, I forgot my water bottle. I can't do this. I can't do that. And I look at them and every single time I say, did you forget your cell phone? <laughs> <laughs> and every single time the answer is no. Every yeah. single time it's in their hand. It's like you can remember your cell phone, but you happen to forget the shoes that you needed to be able to run conditioning today. Because <laughs> because you can back squat in your lifters, or you can back squat in that pair of shoes that you have, but you can't condition in the other pair. But your cell phone is always right there. I'm like, so right. you're able to remember that. You're able to remember your pair of shoes, and I'm not going to take that as an excuse. Eric is an old man in a young man's body. In case no one oh. knows that, that's yeah. that's it, what he is. That's I mean, that's what it is. It's like, well, and I, it's everybody's like, man, I don't have any time. So like, I uh, so a lot of the time out in the out in the Twittersphere, you know, athletes will come to me and they'll say, coach, you know. I, I didn't get a lot of sleep last night or I've been super busy or I'm sorry that, you know, I didn't make it to the session yesterday, this and this and this happened and stuff. And it's like they follow the the team page, the team Twitter page for the strength room and stuff. And like I, I'll look at it and it's like, well, you tweeted at 3 a.m. that you were watching House of Cards or you were watching something on Netflix. It's like, are you how dedicated are you really? Because I hear this word dedication. I hear this word commitment every single day one because it comes out of my mouth and two because they say like hey i'm committed i want to back squat 405 this year i want to run and rush for a thousand yards and all this stuff it's like that's great but that's a goal you have to consider the process that you're going to put in place to get there and if you're not willing to commit to things outside if you're not willing to put the work in when no one else is watching if you're not willing to dedicate to be the person that is solely responsible for getting the work done the buck stops with you again that self self accountability you're not going to get real far. And so it's it's just one of those one of those things where it's like you know you you never forget your cell phone. You never forget um to to text Susie when you get here, you know, but you happen to forget your running shoes every single time you know conditioning is going to be on the board. Yeah. Well, absolutely. You know, and and the same as in athletics as well as business, you know, in business it's measured by quarters. So the 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 year's going to pass uh 12 months. We're going to be 3 months down the road. So break it down into increments of small successes, small small wins, but either way that time is going to pass. Right. So when that time does come, are you going to be at your goal or are you not? The difference between whether you are or not, business, life, uh athletics, anything is did you do the things that you needed to do that were required in order to get you to that point? Yeah. If you didn't, you won't be at the point that you wanted to be at in three months, six months, 12 months. And that's the first thing I ask too is, you know, everyone's like, well, we, we sucked. We didn't win the game. We didn't do this. We didn't do that. It's like, what did you do? Because all I heard was what we didn't do, what the team didn't do, but what didn't you do? Because right. if you're going to be on a team, and that's exactly what business is most times, is you're on a team in some sort. If you can't understand where your shortcomings are as a team player, whether it's in business or whether it's on a football team or a volleyball team, you're going to have a problem because that self-awareness is going to translate directly from sport when you're done playing that sport 
into the world of business at some point in time. Right. And the world world really doesn't care what your shortcomings are. Nope. So you better get them fixed really quick. Yep. That's, that's one thing is like, and I, I tell them that all the time is everybody has something. Everybody has something going on that they have to deal with, that they have to overcome. Nobody's life is perfect because if it was, we wouldn't, I mean, I don't, I don't think that they would be a functioning human being. If their life was perfect, they'd be living on a oh, they'd be, somewhere. They'd be, they'd yeah. be miserable. Yeah, they'd absolutely. Be miserable. Absolutely. And so it's, you know, if the second that you understand that, like, Hey, I could all, A, I could always have it worse. B, I could always do more and C, that guy over there has it worse than I do. And he's already outworking me. The second that uh-huh. you you understand that, that, that the world doesn't care what you have going on, it's what you make of it, once you understand that everybody has something going on, your success rate's going to go through the roof. Yeah, absolutely. And, and what you do, once you realize that everybody has something going on and it's what you do, then you start to put in the work. You start to put in 10 minutes at a time. You start to put in a workout at a time. Or you work, you t- like you just said, um, Jason, you, you, you fix a weakness. You know, you hire a coach to fix that weakness. You hire a business coach. Um, and then, you know, in your case with your family, I mean, it was this, it's, I'm sure it was an action plan of finding specialists, finding the right type of providers um, to basically take care of what you needed to do to make sure that, you know, like it not only would survive 10 minutes to the next 10 minutes and continue to make milestones, but, you know, now be, you know, the four-year-old he is today. Yeah. So. All right. From there, I think we want to we want to kind of go right in and kind of learn about, okay what what happened next? So we left off um, our last podcast. You um, Lakin was about three weeks old and you had um, you had been life flighted or he had been life flighted to Denver a few days after birth um, and basically just had a lot of complications, um, challenging pregnancy or challenging end of pregnancy, challenging delivery, um, and with his heart, um, basically looking at constrictions and, you know, having several surgeries. And we're at the point where first surgery was done, um, and he was coming off of ventilator. You were able to, to leave the hospital actually around that three week mark and you were able to take him, um, you had a family home. Uh, nearby in Denver in the mountains and and I guess what we want to know is uh, what happened next what was life like with you know this newborn three-week-old who had probably been been through more than most most adults go through from a medical aspect you know in the very short time he'd been alive so can you kind of take us what happened next well sure so we we headed west uh because we had to have a follow-up appointment I believe uh, three or four days after we were dismissed. Uh, so we went up to Woodland Park, which was closer to Denver than Hayes, Kansas was. So so they put him on oxygen since we were going up into the mountains, make sure that he didn't have any struggles or anything like that. One of the things that we had to do was give him a Lovenox shot. And that was that was every 12 hours. And it's, very, it's a very small little needle, maybe about a quarter of an inch thick that it's a blood thinner because he had a little bit of a clot in an area of his heart. So we had to make sure that that dissolved properly. And that's, so I still remember getting, uh, getting fuel right outside of Denver and having to pull over because Val, Val's timer went off for his, uh, his medicine. So when we left his first surgery, he was on Sidenafil, which is, uh, it's Viagra, but it's great for blood pressure. 
and so it helps with pulmonary pressure, which is one of the struggles that he has. Uh, Lovenox and L-Dactone. So uh, Lovenox is a blood thinner. L-Dactone is, is a little bit of a blood thinner. It also is a potassium saver. Um, it's a little bit of a diuretic, and it also helps with the formation of heart tissue. So the, those two, the, the sildenafil and aldactone were just oral. So she had a timer for every single one of those medications, which is very minimal compared to what most of these kids leave on. Right. Um, you know, when I started the last story with, you know, nothing about Lakin was textbook. And that was, that was certainly the case with the surgeries and post, post-surgeries and everything else. But one of the things that was so tough was trying to learn how to, to fold the skin just right to where the injection wouldn't be too painful. So we, mm. we quickly realized that, um, that if Lakin was nursing, then he wouldn't re- react as bad. So, cause here you are a week or two and a half weeks roughly out of surgery and you're having to give this infant these shots and you're looking at the, the stress level and the, the redness of the face and the screaming and everything else. So we tried to do everything that we could to do to keep him comfortable. So Val would right. nurse and, and I would give him the shots every 12 hours. And that was tough because he was so small, you know, being any, any, any heart baby is going to be smaller. Mm-hmm. That's the term used for anybody with congenital heart disease when they're, when they're a baby. And, um, so looking at him with all these bruises and because you have to, you have to switch legs every 12 hours. And since it's a thinner, it creates a little bruise spot. You can't do the same spot over and over again. It has to go in the fatty tissue, not the muscle. The list just goes on and on and on. So we went up to Woodland Park. We spent three or four days there. Um, all of our family was there. Well, Val's parents were there, and all three of our other kids were there. And that was just kind of a nice decompression. And so much, so much of it was in kind of just in this gray fog because we'd been through so much during the, those first three or four weeks that um, the the gray the grayness of it I look back and I, I try to remember I look at some of the photos and everything else the the memories just aren't as strong there because you're still dealing with the shock of everything that took place and knowing that you know the doctors had told us we're not done um, right. with heart surgeries, mm-hmm. with heart, with heart surgeries, they, they have a, they have a firm rule of less is more to where it, we fix, we fix the most vital issue now. And then as time goes on, as he gets bigger, we fix the next issue. Mm-hmm. Right. So as he builds, yeah, I think you mentioned last time that makes sense as he builds strength, as he grows a little bit, he's able to develop a little bit more, um, preparing again, you know, like here's the next thing, the next stage. Right. And when you leave, you're hopeful. Like anytime you go to a doctor's appointment for yourself or one of your kids, you're very hopeful. Like, okay, they're going to get, give good news this time. Mm-hmm. You know, this, this isn't as good. This isn't as bad. You know, his body has ability to, to heal. We're, we're going to, we're going to be better. But the realization of everything that he had gone through and struggling with that mentally back and forth of, okay, when's the next appointment? Knowing, you know, we're going to be going to Wichita from Hayes every, every two weeks for the first I think it was every three months uh, to check on his recovery, to check on because the the coarctation, that little candy cane area, that that thinned, that stretch, that that stretching of the hose that created a constriction there for him, 
um, they wanted to watch that to make sure that it doesn't constrict as he grew. Okay. And that's, you know, as well as monitor the other issues, you know, the pulmonary, the pulmonary vessel that they attach to the, the side of his heart, make sure that that's not bleeding. You know, the list goes on and on. So everything, we went to Denver three or four days later, checked out, everything's good. Um, Lovenox going to maintain that for six months to make sure that the blood clot dissolves on its own. And then we head home and then we start trying to figure out what a routine looks like with all of the medicines that he had to take, uh, the, you know, the kids, the kids stay very busy. I still remember, you know, going back to the building, the website and in the hospital room, I still remember the kids were really heavy into swim. Uh, we had a competitive swim team that all three of the kids were in it. So I remember taking my laptop, getting that fully charged up and putting my headphones on. So no parents would talk to me because <laughs> normally like it's kind of like going to the gym, you put your headphones on yeah. and so nobody bothers you, but <laughs> it got, it got so painful answering the same questions over and over again because mm-hmm. the parents would look at you and, Oh, how's Lakin doing? Well, he's, he's doing okay. And yeah. just sharing those same, same, same stories over and over again, it was, it was really depressing. So it got to the point where, I just put my headphones on and that's where I worked. That's where I got the majority of my work done was when the kids were at swim practice and going through that. So I'd turn on my Wi-Fi hotspot on my phone and and just start plowing through emails or, or design on the website or adding new products or, you know, the, the culmination of lists that, that go in day in and day out. And life went on for normal for about two or three weeks and it was his second appointment in Wichita when uh, we were told that the constriction was getting bad fast again. So the coarctation that they repaired, the one thing they didn't think was going to work was the, the reattachment or the attachment of the pulmonary vessel to his yeah. heart. Uh, mm-hmm. The doctor said literally how he described it. He said, if you can imagine sewing wet toilet paper, paper to a heart, that's, that's what this was like. But out of, everything that's been done up to this point that was the one thing that took the best and they and they weren't planning on fixing it it just happened to be in the way and mm-hmm. uh, was yeah. was crowding their their area so the, at the second appointment in wichita we'd found out that he was going to have to go back so we had to drive him out to denver for a sedated echo you know the stress and everything else to really get good right. pressures they have to do they have to do a catheterization put a they go through the femoral artery and then they take this little fish it up through till right before it hits the heart so they can take a true pressure and you have to be sedated so they put you under and and take all the measurements and sure enough it's it's getting worse and the numbers keep getting higher every time that we go and uh, it's really frustrating because you know you can't you can't do anything about it except for go to the doctor and get this number. And the number defines the amount of pressure that's coming on the other side of this constriction. And what that, what that higher number means is there's a greater pressure, so the heart is having to work harder. And it's, you know, uh, the, it, which it just can't happen. Eventually, that's, that turns fatal, yeah. especially as the baby grows. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and just that hose gets tighter in that constriction point. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, in, in the day-to-day of trying to find a norm for the kids, you know, this was in, I believe it was September of 13. Let me look at my notes here. Yeah, around December of 13, we had to go back for his uh, next surgery. Okay. And I, I remember, uh, same thing, Val's parents went to the house. Uh, Val's dad ended up coming with us out to Denver. And my parents were home. Uh, Val's mom was there at our house. So, again, we made those lines very clear. Okay, here's the routines of the kids. Here's This is going to be hard. We're going to have a... We're going to have a focus where we are at the time. So let's try to keep things as routine as we can for the kids. Uh, but I still remember that was so hard having the kids tell Lake and bye. Yeah. Having, you know, having, mm-hmm. having my parents say bye because, and in the back of my mind, I'm, I could not help. And I still remember sitting there. Uh, when they when they took him in for one last sedated right before the surgery, that was one of the most strong feelings I've had of doubt in my life. Really, I kept I kept saying to myself, "It's too soon," because he wasn't healed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know his his, his person, scar. Yeah, yeah, you know his 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 chest tubes incisions and you know the scar on the front. It wasn't fully healed. So sure enough, we we went confirmed we do have to do it so they checked us in gave us a list of all of these things that had to take place and one of the one of the big risk is infection uh oh geez with uh with risk it's it's hard saying that because like the doctor came in before uh, before we found out again that we needed surgery started going through the risk so we could sign off on it and again they go he started going through all of the all of the potential risks, the potential for brain damage, infection. I finally just put up my hand and I said, you know, we went through this a couple months ago. Do we need to hear it again? He said, no, um, I just need your signature. I said, okay. And still signing it was hard because, like I said, it's, it's one of the most strongest feelings of doubt I've ever experienced, but you have no choice. Mm-hmm. Like either he's going to have this surgery or he won't survive. Right. I mean, that's, yeah, I mean, that's the whole idea of trust. I mean, I mean, knowing you have to do it, there's really no other choice at this point. It's the, it's the only option that, you know, might provide hopefully this relief, but one, yeah, the level of risk is that high, you know, like you just said, or just the doubt for this, this particular procedure in itself, even working much less all the other risk factors. I mean, that's, that's, I mean, it's just, it's pretty much an incredible trust that even at Lakin's really young age, it's almost like you're putting that trust into him, into this little baby, you know, into his body's ability to, even though he might not be healed yet from his first surgery and just from, you know, birth and his development, um, that, that his body will be able to handle it. Um, and the functions that he has, you know, just like you said, with, you know, the, with the pulmonary attachment, you know, the likelihood of that of basically adhering and, and working was pretty slim and who, and who would have thought that was the one that was, uh, maintained its success. So, right. um, I think, I mean, that amount of faith and trust that you had to just have in, in just, you know, this is the option. And, um, despite the doubt that you had, 
because it's kind of that idea of like we all have doubt and like a million other things but you still have to move forward you still have to compete you still have to you know sign that document to sign off on that surgery so that's it's a pretty powerful moment from you know with you know knowing what your head knows knowing what your heart knows or what your heart feels and then still having to take action on it did you have the same surgeon yeah so so it's the same surgeon each time so that's you obviously built a uh, a pretty fast relationship with him under the circumstance because it was required to. Um, are you, are you generally a a trusting person when it comes to that kind of stuff, or are you hesitant in those kinds of situations? I'm I'm trustful of people that um, I do my diligence. I guess I should say. Okay. Yeah. So we, uh, I I. You know, I've told people, like, I know way too much, more than I ever wanted to know about the function of the heart, and I've since forgot a lot about it. But during the time, uh, Val and I were both very diligent about diligent about the questions that we asked, the yeah. the, the reading that we could without being a, uh, a WebMD, but asking, you know, very serious questions and, and the hard ones that we could think to ask of, okay, what's next? What are the next stages, whether it's bad or good? What are we looking for? So we could take part in his care. And I, I find that, I find that to be something that I, I think I wish more people would do. Um, especially, you know, the, obviously your circumstance is extreme, but a lot of people go into medical situations and, and a lot of people go see their, they'll, they'll go see their doctor with an issue and they say, well, just stop doing that. And very few people ask why. Very few people seek that understanding. And with you, it was natural because it's your child. But I think a lot of people are so quick to trust and just kind of fold or sign or um, be okay with whatever it is that they hear is c- can be challenging for some people because it's it's obviously not encouraging. The things that you heard, those those possible side effects, weren't encouraging. There wasn't something there. That, I mean... Did you feel a notion? I mean, did the surgeon give you an idea of like like a light at the like a light at the end of the tunnel, or or was he just very realistic, very black and white? Like these are the odds, these are the side effects. Um, you know, these these are very very black and white. You know, the one of the things that Valid pointed out after uh, she and I gathered up and kind of talked about our last call was one of the, I had mentioned on there, one of the, the likelihoods is they're going to damage that nerve, that suck nerve, that, or that, that ability to swallow reflex. Right. So, yeah. I mean, that, there's a 90, 90% chance, 90% plus chance that that's going to happen. That's... So the, the baby has to learn how to eat again, has to learn how to swallow. So they're already very small. And coming into the second surgery, one of the, one of the potential worries was we're going to have to go deep to, get, to make sure that we're getting this coarctation repaired right this time. Um, there's some extra tissue there that we hadn't seen, that we hadn't accounted for, that's causing that constriction. So, you know, last time it was 90%. Now it's 95 if not a 100% certainty that that he's going to have to learn how to re-eat, how to re-swallow. Mm-hmm. It's going to take time. Um, so all of those... All of those were just very candid moments with the doctor, which was a relief um, because because we we knew what milestones to to look for. Right. Well, and just like you said, that you're a 
the the ability for canon situations or how you approach business now and, and some of the exchanges that you have with that to where you're very very upfront and very candid um do you think that influences any of that at all that it that those that these experiences that these circumstances put some of those things in perspective for you to where maybe other people in your position it may be different oh yeah absolutely you know to me um you know, there, there really aren't that many hard conversations I'm involved with anymore. I can. And that was, that was my yeah. next question. That's kind of when I st- when I started asking you that, it's kind of what I was getting to is like now when you have discussions or when you have, um, you know, touchy subjects in business, I can't imagine that there's something that really is, that really is throws you touchy or something yeah. that throws you or, con- or you can't. yeah, I, I, I can't imagine there's much, mm-hmm. you know, there's, there's still the, the anxiety of bringing up tough things of of knowing that you're going to either uh, hurt somebody's feelings, damage a relationship, but if it needs to be said and it needs to be talked about in order to help help the organization, the organism, the thing that we have all come to know and depend on and love and 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 a lot of other affiliates uh, and customers have come to rely on, then we have to be willing to crawl into those conversations of go into the basement, you know, uh, that's that's an analogy I use all the time. Of everybody hates the damn basement. It's scary. There's spiders. You know the foundation's crumbling. There's water in there. Like God, I don't want to go in the basement unless I'm changing out the filter. And maybe I can pay somebody fifty bucks to go do that for me. But that's that's where that's where the foundation is. That's where the support structure is. That's where the relationships are built. Everything gets stronger by making sure that you're willing to go down and do the work and have those hard conversations and. You know, uh, and do it do it in a place of of not pride or not mm-hmm. ego, but just truly of okay. Here's the truth. If I'm yeah. wrong, if I'm wrong, help me clarify so I can understand better. But if if you correct me, I have to be willing to hear that. I have to be willing to hear that bad news and accept that correct and correcting statement of okay. Here's what we need to do. Here's where I was wrong. And I mean, relationships, business, sports, yeah, everything. That's that comes down to accountability. It, that's I'm I'm sitting across from Julie right now. Um, for those of you that don't know, we're actually podcasting with Jason over the phone, and uh, I'm fist bumping in the air as Jason says this because <laughs> some people may or may not know a huge tagline for me. And actually, um, a big piece of revealing strength is actually called dark space performance, which is our kind of our programming philosophy and methodology and kind of like lifestyle brand that that's attached to, to revealing strength, which is kind of my, my baby. And a big thing is, is that you don't know when it's going to happen. You don't know how it's going to happen, but eventually somewhere in your life, whether it's training, whether you lose your job, whether it's a circumstance like this with one of your children, you're going to have to go to a dark space. And it's how you deal with it, but more importantly, how you emerge. Because the things, the biggest progress that's going to be made is going to be made in the dark. And in training, especially in CrossFit, you have to push yourself to this very dark area, this dark space in your mind. You have to push your body to the brink of its highest level of performance to be able to achieve some things at times. And I think the willingness or the ability for some people to accept that that's what it's going to take can be detrimental to their performance or the success or how they emerge from those circumstances and understanding like, Hey, this is going to hurt. This is going to be uncomfortable. This meeting is not going to leave me 
feeling good about myself or about someone else or this training session isn't going to leave me feeling like sunshine and roses when I'm done and I'm going to spend the next 20 minutes on the floor. But it's what's absolutely best for this opportunity in front of me right now. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's it, it surprises me how many people have that, how many successful people and how many people who've been through a lot of different things in life have that exact same notion and those that understand it and accept it and that are willing to do that over and over and over again seem to be really, really successful because they have an understanding of, hey, it's only going to get from this point right here, right now, after this conversation, after this workout, after this right here, right now, it will get better. Mm-hmm. That right now it's unfortunate, right now it's unpleasant, but what am I going to do to make it better now? What am I going to do to move forward? Exactly. Very and cool. It's also your intention that you go into it. I mean, no one goes into a hard workout like that just to, well, hopefully they don't, just to punish themselves. It's to be that, that progress point, no. to get to that big goal, you know, of making regionals or getting to that PR. That's why you do it. And same thing, when you have have to have a tough conversation with an affiliate owner or with a client, it's it's not to be a jerk. And especially, you know, like that's, again, why, why we respect you so much. It's all to you know, to be honest, to be upfront, to make sure that people are educated on what needs to be done, what needs to happen, or to, to move forward with whatever, whatever the progress is. And I mean, like with Lakin too, same thing with your doctors, it's, you know, they have to be effective and they have to be able to move forward and do their job. And that is to deliver the information that you as a parent and the decision maker need to hear. And no matter how hard that is, or, you know, if, you know, it's two or three weeks after the first surgery, I mean, that's the reality of it and you've got to go there. So, right. Well, just like when the doctor started to go over the, the possibilities and the risks again, and you just kind of held up your hand and say, Hey, do I need to hear this again? I'm sure you've sat in multiple meetings before where you've said, Hey, do I really need to hear this again? Let's just get it done. Mm-hmm. And well, and yeah, in, in different situations at the, the truth is when I, when I said that to Max, you know, it, it really came down to just, I can't hear this again. You're right. Yeah. You know, it just mm-hmm. like, it's not going to change the outcome. It's right. not going to change the signature. I'm, I'm, yeah. Right. Yeah. I'm going, I'm going to sign it because I don't have a choice. I hate every second of being here. Right. So it, it, uh, difference, but yes, it does. Uh, you know, having those, having those conversations is, is hard and vital and, and they suck. (laughs) Yeah. Yes, they do. (laughs) Yeah, they absolutely do. Uh, So one of the things that, uh, one of the things that we had to do was, was, uh, so we checked into the hotel room across the street, um, Spring Hill Suites, for some reason I still remember, and, and just everything about it, uh, checked into our hotel, and one of the things that we had to do is they gave us some scrub to make sure, because one of the, um, that, oh, that's where I was going with the story, one of the potential dangers was risk of infection, because they're going in right beside a healing scar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they had to make sure that it was just as clean as you could get it. So the night before, we're going and checking in. And this, was a re- this, is, this is a revelation that I've never shared with anybody else. As we're walking down the hall, our room, got my key card. And room is 130. And we're going up to the room. Val, Val's behind me. And... I can't remember one of us carrying a bag, one of us carrying a lake, but we packed very light. You know, it's, uh, 
wash our stuff in the sink and stay there as long as we need to. But I swiped the key in the card and instantly when I looked at the room number, I saw the readout on Val's uh, Pitocin pump. And it just, just a secondary flash. So we go into the room and that, that kept bothering me because um, I couldn't understand why why I saw it that way. Yeah. Why would why it would go back to that. Right. And uh so we go through the process. I I actually have pictures of Val bathing Lakin and we didn't have a tub, we had a shower. And uh bathing him and scrubbing, which is it's a, it's this awful antiseptic scrub. Mm-hmm. Really pretty irritative on the skin, but you have to um and we go through, get him all clean. Val, Val gets him, you know, nurses him. He falls asleep. And as we're laying there in bed, getting getting ready to fall asleep, I asked Val, I said, Val, what did the nurse, what was your Pitocin at? So I didn't want to lead into this question. And she said, well, we started at 10. And I said, what did, what, what did the nurse, because there's there two nurses, one, one the experienced nurse, and then there's a training nurse that was, that was on my side, that came around to my side. And I said, what did, um, I don't want to say names because they may end up listening. What, was, what did the head nurse say to take your Pitocin to? And she said, 13. Oh no. She went to 130. Yes. Mm-hmm. Sorry, did I say 130? I meant 113. Oh my gosh. Oh. And and I shared that with Val. She said there's there's no way. I said I, I I'm telling you I when I when I looked at the door, the sign on on the door. So, of course that that's that's for later down the road. Um, but coming to find out if somebody is, does have a Pitocin overdose, uh, it, it reacts to the muscle. It doesn't, it doesn't affect the uterine lining. So we'll, we'll, yeah. So that, so we, we go to, um, I had a, I had a restless night that night, uh, trying to, trying to, trying to wrap my head around all of the repercussions, the guilt of like, okay, did I see that? Did I not see it? If I did see it, why didn't something happen? Why didn't I say something? You know, I don't know. Um, And still to this day, we've never reached out uh, to the hospital for the records or anything like that. So the next day we wake up, we take over Lakin over to the hospital for, for a, for his morning surgery and everything's planned, everything's scheduled and um, they take him back and I can't remember, I think it's a four or five hour surgery and again, all they're doing is repairing the coarctation, coarct repair and unfortunately since the spot that it's in, they have to go through the front again instead of through the ribs and you always ask like, is, it, is there a possibility to go through the ribs and there, there wasn't. When they brought Lakin back, I had really bad news. And I, I remember Max, Val and I were sitting on the, on the 
the bed couch thing that that was our home and uh, Max Heman was explaining the surgery and he said we had a complication um, there was a lymph duct that was nicked just barely but before we closed up I saw some white fluid and I, I didn't know anything about lymph fluid and again i'm not a doctor right. so if any doctors or nurses are listening to this rolling their eyes going oh geez here we go here's here comes here comes some phrases that don't make sense again i'm going to apologize in advance um my memory's a little fuzzy about this one so they he explained that um that the surgery took longer because they had to leave him open because um they were he found the fluid and he knew what it was because it, it is a rare instance when it happens, but it does happen sometimes. And so he said, I put a stitch in it and it needs to heal. So we did go ahead and close him up, but there's a high chance that we're going to have to open him back up if that stitch doesn't hold mm -hmm. because you can't, you can't have limp fluid leaking out. Yeah. Right. Right. So we have to put him for 10 days and I think it's 10 days, eight or 10 days. We have to put him on a fat free diet. And I'm not sure, I'm not sure, I, I, I don't remember why, like what it is about lymph, the way that your body processes the, the fat and the diet, it produces more lymph. And I don't, I don't understand all of that. I used to, uh, I've forgotten it on purpose. But they had to keep as lymph fluid as inactive as possible. So by keeping fat out of his diet, that, that was the goal. And we said, well, what happens if, if the stitch doesn't hold? And he said, well, I'll have to go back in and try to repair that again. And as soon as I heard that, I knew what he meant. Val said, well, what if, what if you can't repair it? And he said, nothing can be done. And it didn't register with Val. She said, well, what do you mean nothing can be done? How do you fix it? And I said, and I just, I remember saying quietly to Val, I said, he can't survive if they can't repair that lymph. And um, I still remember, I mean, she just, she just said, no, we've, we've come too far. This isn't going to happen. This can't happen. Um, too many things, too many things were passed we're past where something like this can happen. And it, the reality is you're never past anything. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But, but accepting that and realizing that is hard. Um, so, and I can't remember, I've got pictures of, of him. And at the time, you know, you think that he's, he's healthy and he's doing great. And he's got this, you know, this, uh, two month old smile. That's just beautiful. And he's just enjoying life. And, but I look back now and look at pictures and I think about how gaunt and how small he was, uh, you know, Elliot, our oldest, I think at two months old, he was 24 pounds. I mean, he was a fat baby. Um, actually we had doctors ask us if we had obesity in our family. I was like, no, we just, we just have really healthy babies. My brother's boys were all the same way. And, but looking back at, at pictures of Lake and, you know, 10, 11, 12 pounds at two months, it, it's, it was so hard watching him knowing how small he was and every ounce matters. Mm -hmm. 
yeah. at that stage. Your, your survivability is really um, increased by the weight that you have up to a certain extent, of course. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And having, having to go on this fat-free diet mm-hmm. intravenously, Val can't nurse. Right. But so we worked with the doctors and, you know, there, there's, there's a lot more that goes into this. And um, there's so many, so many side stories that I just can't, can't pull into this. But one of the ones that I remember is Val going to bat saying, um, you know, we nursed, we nursed all of our kids. We know that this is the healthiest option, but we know that it's hard. So how do we take, how do we take the breast milk and spin the fat out of it? So he's getting what I'm giving. And, you know, going back to some of the conversations that we had before, like the body's ability to, mm-hmm. to do that, like the mother's ability to, to produce what a baby needs, when a baby needs it. I mean, it's miraculous. It's yeah. absolutely amazing. And so she was adamant. And I mean, she went toe to toe with these doctors, with the nurses until finally they just gave in. Okay, we'll do it. Here's how it's possible. So we did. So spun the fat, spun the fat out of um, her breast milk. And that's what, that's what they fed intravenously to Lakin. Um, and if I remember right, they also put some additional additive in there for extra calories. I can't remember. Okay. Again, uh, memory's a little gray on that one. Mm-hmm. But I do remember how firm Val was, and she's like, "We're going to figure this out because you're just going to have to do it." Right. Um, and um, so they slowly started. I think it was about seven or eight days. They slowly started introducing a little bit of fat during the day. You know, just uh, he's being feed fed through a tube. So they slowly started introducing fat. And at that point, you're just on, like he's, you know, seven or eight days outside of surviving open heart surgery where he was on, he was on bypass. You know, the list goes on and on of all the potential dangers and all the shit that I didn't want to hear when the doctor said, okay, here, you can just sign it. So you're holding your breath, like what's going to happen when we start giving him a little bit of fat? Mm -hmm. I can't remember what the marker was, but they watched it very closely. Because they knew, like, if if that's there, it's not a it's not a maybe. It's not an if that can't heal itself. If it's leaking, it has to go get fixed. Right. Open heart again. Whatever market it was, never showed up. Through a little bit of fat. Through the addition of more, more, and more, until finally they were giving him whole breast milk. And so. Go ahead. It's just like one piece after another of the story. And I'm I'm sitting here and I'm constantly trying to think like I have an incredibly hard time. I'm not a patient person. And I have have an incredibly hard time waiting for a package to come from FedEx. (laughs) And over and over and over again, I, I sit here and I am baffled and moved by the amount of and and you didn't have a choice right you know you can't next day ship these things and just the the amount of patience that you and your wife and your family had to had to show and had to constantly practice over and over and over again and 
in the patience that your wife had to show with spinning the fat out of the breast milk and, and lobbying and fighting for that opportunity is just, it's, it's incredible. It is just really, really incredible. I, well, I wish that we could take credit for it. It's just the circumstances that didn't give us a choice. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's really all it comes down to. Um, so, uh, the next the next milestone that we had to deal with was uh, the damage to the to swallowing nerve, uh, the reflex to swallow, and all that. And uh, again, Val went to bat hard, like, "No, we're going to introduce a little bit of milk. Uh, we're going to do this, and uh, just slowly." And she said, "Look, I nursed all of our kids. I I know I know what they should do. I know what they shouldn't do. I understand what a gagging or a choking reflex is. Uh, feel free to." to hang out, to monitor, but I want to nurse him. So yeah. they did. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, he, he attached, he latched on and away they went. And, and so at that point he didn't, he didn't have any, any additional retraining or therapy for the swallowing or sucking reflux at this point. I can't say 100% no because there were a few times where it was a little bit delayed. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, but considering what most kids go through in that in that instance, yeah, or in those circumstances, he was he was where a lot of kids are lucky to be in a couple months. And so you're looking at and, and what you said earlier. I mean, you're looking at a five percent window then that he that he sat in. After that second surgery, because you said there's about 90, 95% chance that he was going to have to have some, some retraining and some therapy for that. Right. If not, if not near certainty. And they, when they even, when they even came out, you know, once they got past the, the, the lymph, uh, news, uh, the next was the, the nerve. He said, I, I have no doubt we hit it. I have no doubt, um, that because you know once once you get past the the lymph duct okay what's next what are we looking yeah. for what are those milestones what are those wins and the next one of course is eating which which we had been used to and um he was he was very candid like that's that's not going to happen he's there's there's no way i didn't push on that oh so right. uh and and at this point how how big is he like like how many pounds like, like how many how many pounds you said he was 10 to 12 when he had kind of started that pro i mean and then going no on the he was i think he was 10 to i think he was 10 to 12 pounds and i can get that mm -hmm. uh val would val remembers that stuff better than i do At i would be months, surprised really... i would be surprised if he was 15 pounds wow that's i I don't have I don't have a tremendous I don't have I don't have as much experience obviously as you are with Julie with with small children but I have I have my nephew that I mentioned on the first episode and um, I just went to his first birthday party this last weekend and I picked him up and I I looked around and I'm like man he's getting heavy <laughs> and to think about to think about the connection of size and yes it's it's a it's one year compared to a couple months is a, is a huge huge difference but to think about that that small of a package that that small 15 pound frame going through mm -hmm. two surgeries and all of these different things and and the stress that it put on him and the stress it put on you you know it, it that's just it boggles my mind but 
even more so that he's he's doing as well as he was that he he had those chances that he did with that nerve mm-hmm. and for as small as he was to to be able to come right out of it is just yeah I mean, and, and have that natural, you know, that natural reaction and, and be able to suck at that point, you know, even when like maybe the nerve was hit, you know. Right. I mean, right. Who, who knows? Um, but it was yeah. it was a great day. Uh, oh, I know I, both, yeah. of, both yeah. of us cried when it happened. And mm-hmm. Yeah, because you know what it means. Mm-hmm. Um, you've been you know, you're you're past your second surgery. You've gone through the then ducked it getting nicked and all of that. And now he can have full fat milk. Okay. Now, now buddy, it's just time to grow, grow, grow. Right. Yeah. At least you hope. Mm-hmm. So he gets whole breast milk mm-hmm. right now. At this point, he's, he's post second surgery. You, you shared the story with driven and the, the issue with the pill bottles. So what's, <laughs> so what's happening now, which I have, there's I almost sent you I almost sent you a video. Um I opened a new a new container of ISO and mm-hmm. it was it was one of those things to where the package from UPS must have must have gotten flipped upside down one or one or two <laughs> times because I I spent the first five minutes looking for the scoop. And it was determined I had the I had the old scoop from my old container right in front of me, but I was determined because I knew it was in there somewhere and I was determined to find the new one for some reason. But um <laughs> Well, you'll find it eventually, right? Yeah, it was down there. I mean it legitimately took like it was long enough that two members found it funny enough to take a video. Um so it's I'm sure it's somewhere on my phone. But uh yeah, so what's what's happening with Driven at this point? Uh, at Driven at this point, um, still doing a lot of website work, uh, during the, the stage of Lake and being, um, in the hospital, I onboarded five new affiliates. Um, I believe somewhere along that time, somebody had posted up a, a good review on us, uh, on the CrossFit owners affiliate forum. Mm-hmm. And so I got hit all of a sudden with, with five new affiliates and, they're still they're still with us today. I was because um, I was curious. I was like, well, I wonder wonder how I did, um, you know, and how we've done since. And that I I'm I'm pretty proud of the fact that all five of those ones that did sign up are still actively engaged and and still supporting us. So, and at that time that you had those five new, how many did you have in total? I don't remember. I don't remember. And I. And you know what? I actually have, I have more respect for that than if you were to sit yeah. there and be like a twenty-two because you didn't, you weren't worried. I mean, at least I don't think I, I think you were from this point. Is you weren't worried about how many you were getting. You were worried about the ability and the the quality of product and service that you were able to offer to them. Mm-hmm. Right. And as long as the product and the service was solid, then right now at that point in the company, you're worried about what you're able to offer them, not how many you can offer it to. Right. 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 And still, still to this day, I, I, you know, I know how many we're working with now and, you know, I know our numbers in and out and I did then too, but I still, that, that mindset is still 100%. Like if we take care of the basics mm-hmm. and yeah. offer a good product, offer good service and be real, which is very rare in this industry, yes. then, you know, uh, we're going to be successful. So that that mindset has been uh, established from day one. So what's next? 
All right. So we want Little Lakin is growing, hopefully. So yeah, actually, uh, Valerie just texted me. Uh, I was way off the mark. Uh, he was nine pounds, nine ounces when oh we went my, in for his second oh my surgery. Oh, Goodness. Wow. Wow. 20, 22 inches long. He was, a, he was, a, he was, a, he was, a, he was a small guy. Yeah. So, uh, hard babies, they are small. Mm-hmm. All right. So, all right. Nine pounds. Um, going in, coming out, um, able to eat, mm-hmm. um, growing um you're you're in denver still um how long did you did you have to stay in denver for this time were you able to come home just just under three weeks okay just under three weeks okay um again we went out to woodland park Mm -hmm. because we had to have a follow-up here in a few days Uh, and you're just so ready to get out yeah the kids are in school at this point Mm -hmm. so those routines had to be entrenched um so having the support back home uh, was so important and we ended up going out to Woodland again, came back. Everything was uh, looked good, except they now it's on to start talking about the next surgery. Okay, mm-hmm. Now we have to start talking about the valve replacement. Mm-hmm. We don't have to do that, but more than likely, that's when we start learning about, it's called a Ross Kono procedure, to where they take one of the pulmonary valves and swap it uh, for his atrial valve. Um, now, if you do this before someone is a year old, the pulmonary valve can withstand the higher pressures inside of the heart. Mm-hmm. Okay. For some for some reason, the 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 survival rate. I mean, it's not it's not a percentage; it's a factor higher that okay. after after re, we reach one, the tissue can't change, mm-hmm. okay. or doesn't doesn't change. Okay. So, okay. we're two and a half three months old and. Um, now the, the next surgery is going to be, um, within a year or within a year, him turning a year. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they, they talk about one of the things that we had to be very cautious of is illness, you know, any, th- any type of respiratory issue he was very susceptible to not, not so much from his, his immune system wasn't really compromised, but they were so concerned that any type of respiratory issue could attack his heart or his lungs, which he has issues with both. So we had to be very careful. You know, everywhere, everywhere in our house, uh, you know, uh, hand sanitizer. Okay, when people walk in, take off your shoes. If you if you have a sniffle, do not come in this house. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that, you know, going back to you know, kind of putting my headphones on and just kind of going in my own little world. We did have friends. We had people who, who wished us well. But having those hard conversations that I still have, like I had one two months ago um, at home, but like before when somebody would come in, are you sick? Is anyone in your house sick? Yeah. Uh, you know, so-and-so's got a sniffle. I'm sorry, you can't come you can't in. can't come. Yeah. It's, you can't and come. No. And, it, and it's easy. But again, going back to the minute you decided to be an, a parent, you lost any excuse. I can't say, well, so-and-so made my kids sick. Right. That's And it, mm-hmm. it's, it's so hard. It pisses me off that we have to get put in that situation, but I guess that's life. Yeah. Um, like it sucks. Um, but having those and, uh, you know, September, late September, getting released, you're coming into October, Thanksgiving, um, Christmas, 
and uh, you know those were those were those were hard holidays because um, we spent them alone. And that was that was the first time we had ever done that as a family. Right. And uh, I remember uh, it. Jeez, uh, my brother doesn't even know this, but um, we were so concerned, so paranoid about um, getting Lake and sick or being around anything that was sick that um, he came to drop off. Um, he came to drop off some Christmas presents for old for Lakin and the older kids. Um, he said, he said, Terry's not going to come in because, you know, she's got a cold. Um, I couldn't open the door. Like I just, he knocked and I just sat on the other side and cried. Cause I couldn't, mm-hmm. I like, I like, and can't get sick. Right. Yeah. And, and, that's, it's, and that's what you had to do. That was, I mean, at the, you know, again, like you had a choice. You could open the door. And, of course, you wanted to. It's your brother. But in this situation, that just, that wasn't going to be an option that, that no. would have, that would, that you would be willing to take. And it's, and yeah. it's family. It's the holidays. Mm-hmm. You know, which is, yeah. yeah, any, any, any person that's ever had an app, you know, in the situation where like, you know, so-and-so couldn't make it home in time for Christmas, just think about being home, having your family in the immediate area, having them on your front porch and not being able to embrace them and say hi and share that moment because you have to make the, you have to make the harder decision. You have to make the tougher choice. Yep. That ultimate goal of keeping, keeping like healthy and illness free just surmounted everything else at that time, no matter how hard it was. So. Yeah. You know, and, uh, you know, looking back on, you know, I, when they were describing, when Dr. Mo was describing Lakin's heart issue, I, I was, I was just, I, it, it crushed me. Like I couldn't get off the bed. I had to lay down. Um, and I couldn't, I couldn't open the door. I couldn't explain to Doug why I just didn't, you know, I didn't let him see me. I couldn't see him. And just still, it's just, it's a hard thing looking back to accept but in the moment um, you know being frozen by indecision but knowing that nothing you know I can't do anything right um, being caught in that 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 kind of situation and not being able to face it other than not facing it is really hard to accept mm-hmm. and and come and to come to terms with um, so, you know, for Christmas, we, we stuck around the house, of course. Um, and it was, um, it was bittersweet because, you know, the next surgery is coming up and mm-hmm. we were interviewing doctors. Uh, we did one, uh, we, we narrowed it down to, uh, USC and Dr. Oye at Michigan, University of Michigan there. And, um, interviewing doctors and everything else, but we were doing that before the holidays. So it just created this, this hard kind of weird, uncomfortable, painful situation of, okay, all four, all four of our kids are here. All six of us are together. Um, you know, it was an unspoken thing, but I know that, that Val was sad because she couldn't be with her family 
you know, and I couldn't be with her family and she couldn't be with mine and I couldn't be with mine. We never, we never said it. We never acknowledged it. And I'm, you know, there, in moments like that, you can't help but feel sorry for yourself a little bit. Mm-hmm. And, but still, we just were, we did our best to be there for the kids. Um, I remember playing a lot of games, you know, laughing every time that we could and just tried to make it as much of a normal Christmas as we could. It was just, it was just quiet. Um, so yeah, the, uh, then we, we roll forward. Life is, uh, life is starting to find some routines of kids as sporting events. Uh, the business is starting to get some more traction and we're starting to, to develop the, the reputation within the, the owner's community of, um, you know, good, solid products, um, a solid, reliable, and loyal loyal system that, that really no one had ever seen anything like it before. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we, we really kind of broke the mold. So maintaining that, that compass through those times, coming out on the other side of it, um, started started to grow. The, the business started to expand. And we we know why you you decided on the CrossFit market because you saw the opportunity and you saw a you saw an opening for yourself and for Driven. But what brought you to the CrossFit community itself? How, oh. how did how did you wind up in the realm or the world of CrossFit? Well, I started. <laughs> Here's another story. Um, because this this will be a perfect this will be a perfect bridge for episode three. We can kind of talk about what what driven is now and what driven means to the means to you and what what it means to the CrossFit community. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, so we own uh, another supplement brand called Titan Nutrition, and we've owned that for almost twelve years. And we were at a uh, a CrossFit competition, and I'm you know you guys have seen me. Like I'm 5'10", 180 pounds, I'm 42 years old. Mm-hmm. I'm an average dude. Um, I right. try to stay flexible. I try to try to I try to stay in a modicum of shape, just because like I want to, and I know it's important. Uh, keeping up with kids and everything else, life, business, everything else. Um, but I was at a at a we were at a CrossFit competition in Springfield, Missouri. That's where my business partner and the company was based out of at the time. And we went to, I remember being there and um, Titan is mostly marketed towards uh, bodybuilders and that market. And I remember standing there at this competition and being blown away at how supportive everyone was of the people at the end. And it was, it was so inspiring. It reminded me a lot of college track, people cheering, people happy. You know, we've all seen it. You know, like, you know, everybody cheers for the person that finishes last because, you know, no one is better than anyone else in the gym. We're all there to get become a better version of who we are. Right. Whether 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 you can snatch 225 or 75, either way, you want to get better. And everybody is in that same boat. And watching that competition was was really an amazing thing. And I remember talking to people and they were saying, well, you know, should I take this post wad or should I take this pre wad? And I thought these guys have their own language. 
Right. Like, this is amazing. I mean, they, they, and you know, there was, there was only really only one other company in the market and they were way overpriced. And I won't get into that, but the main thing I saw was the language that people use the, you know, people, uh, people talk about, you know, it being a cult and stuff like that. Like it is like, that's great. So, Everybody has their own language. They have this support network. Right. There's a tribe, and that that tribe was so strong, and everybody was eating paleo. There was this paleo wagon there, and I'm sitting there watching them going, "Man, if and I and I talked about this on the last call. You know, I, I talked to some of the athletes that were there. Like, if you ate like a bodybuilder, you would smash everybody out here, because you're not eating like an athlete. You're eating like somebody who's trying to lose weight or right. just overall be healthy. But if you want to perform, you need to eat like a bodybuilder. And at the time, it was bodybuilders against CrossFitters. And still we see some of that, uh, those videos come out, you know, big bodybuilders, you know, smashing on CrossFitters or vice versa. Right, um, right. But the thing, the thing that you can't get past is um, bodybuilding competitions, fitness competitions, they're all judged by something, um, by a loose fit of criteria based off of who is sitting in those judges' chairs. The thing that the thing that I never could come to terms with was those guys are literally there to be judged. Mm -hmm. They're there to judge themselves, to be judged by the judges, and to judge other people. So the yeah. culture, the culture of that was always it didn't fit with me. You know, I can I can know anything that you would want to know about supplements or things that can help you be a better athlete or better be a better bodybuilder, but if a 25-year-old guy comes up to me that's got genetics through the roof, probably has taken some stuff that he shouldn't have taken, and asks me a question, he's not going to listen to a word that comes out of my mouth. doesn't matter if I know, know the stuff or not. It just matters that he doesn't think that I know. Mm -hmm. So that wasn't in CrossFit. And also seeing that, that those lines, I, I felt that the lines between bodybuilders and, and the, you know, the, the competition or like one is better than the other. I mean, everybody's an athlete. Everybody's trying to get better. And like what's, what's interesting now is the development of watching macros and stuff like that. You know, bodybuilders have been doing this for 30 years. Right. It's not new. Right. I mean, you know, now there's all these paper, paper play and you know, all these pay sites of, Hey, you know, I'll do your diet plans and stuff like that. But bodybuilders have been doing that forever for each other. It's not new. Um, and, now, the difference is, is year-round, CrossFitters need to perform. They want to be healthy. Right. Um, bodybuilders are a little bit opposite. They have, they have the gaining season and the cutting season, which, you know, I, I, I don't really feel is all that healthy. Um, maintaining, maintaining a moderate, you know, finding your body stasis, I'm kind of a fan of. Yeah. As, as a 14-year wrestler who cut tremendous amounts of weight, I agree. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that's, that's, um, that's, where, that's where driven – started was uh, seeing seeing that mindset of the opportunity of of okay there's nothing else here everybody else is everybody else is going one way and there was uh, you know and since then it's been really amazing because all, all a lot of other companies have gone towards you know throwing a lot of money at athletes yeah you know, and advertising like crazy like hey i can i can take this and i can you know buy my way into the market you can't you know just like you can't fake being fit. Like you can't, you can't fake being part of the community. You either right. are or you aren't. Did you do the work? You come in, 
and you can brag about you know your fran time and everything else but if you come in and get your ass handed to you in a workout people look at you and know like no you don't work out as as much as you say you do right um, you probably just shouldn't say that much because we're not going to judge you unless you say like eh, i can do all of this because then we're going to be watching it well right. um, and that's a way to check it. Well, and that's one thing with the CrossFit community that I love so much, and it's a lot like that in the bodybuilding community too, is that neither one of them are necessarily mainstream. So if LeBron James gets up and says something on SportsCenter, the whole world knows it, right? But it's the whole world. In the right. CrossFit community, the second that, that shit kind of goes down, something, the second something happens on Instagram, the almost the entirety of the CrossFit community finds out pretty quick, and then we all kind of sit back and we watch. And we wait, right. and we see who's going to be the next rookie, who's going to be the next what, what's going to happen, and it's it's really cool to see that because there's there's still this grassroots level of CrossFit because it's so involved at the affiliate level, and because there's such a strong connection between, you know, being an athlete either at a local level or the CrossFit Games because hey, we still can't do the same thing; we just do it at a different intensity, different speed, and different weight. Right. And so, you know, you know what that feels like, you know what it is, you know how it feels. And so that's, that's really, really cool to see. And it's exciting to watch that continue to grow because even at regionals, even at the games, the the person that gets the most amount of support and the most amount of cheers is the person that's the last on the floor. Mm-hmm. Yep. And it's exciting. It's exciting to yeah. watch and it's exciting to see that continue to grow. Because it all, I mean, it goes back to what you just said, Jason, is, you know, yeah, we can have different fan times and we can compare numbers on our snatch maxes. But when it comes down to it, everybody's in there for the same reason, to make themselves better, to make themselves healthier, fitter, faster, um, challenge themselves mentally or emotionally. And from the top most games athlete to the person who's just been doing CrossFit for two weeks, um, that's a consistent reason for showing up every day or for competing. and and I think that idea of I love that idea how you went to the affiliates because that's where the numbers are in CrossFit. Mm-hmm. Even though you, like yeah now we've come to have some higher level athletes, people that are more well known. You know obviously you have athletes that are sponsored athletes, but I mean ultimately it comes down to that's where the numbers are. That's where the people are. Um, and so that's where the you, connections are. Yeah, I mean yeah. that's that's where that's where you know you have way more of those everyday human stories. That's where those comes from, or where they come from. And by you know reaching out with owners, establishing relationships with affiliate owners, that's your route into the community, into all right. of those people. Right. Yep. So that's that's the story. The next uh, next story, I'll tell you uh, how how and why I started CrossFit. How about that? Perfect. That cool. will be that'll be the perfect way to kind of start the, the episode Jason's three. Jason's CrossFit origin story. Jason's, <laughs> cro- Jason's CrossFit origin, and then uh, what Driven's all about now, and what it's going to continue to be all about will be episode three. So again, and I want to hear the Michigan connection because we're Michigan people, and yes. so that's why that's I'm excited to kind of hear this last. I don't want to say the last stage in Lakin's journey because he's still young. He's only four. Um, but this final and third surgery and, you know, how that, how that really pulled you into back into the, your values and missions of this brand and the huge amount of growth that you've had since then. I think just even since I started hearing about your product, I think honestly, the first time I heard about it was on the affiliate owner, uh, 
group on Facebook. Um, right on. And so I thought, you know, that's cool. And then, then our gym went on board. And so that was even cooler. And then, so I think it's interesting, even in the year I've known you, it's been a cool ev- evolution. So we look forward to hearing about that, your origin story, update on Lakin, his third surgery, your connection to, to our local area here in, in uh, southeast Michigan. And, yeah. Thanks. Jason, look forward to it. thank you so much. And we can't wait to chat with you again soon. Absolutely. It's my pleasure, guys. Have a great day. Yep. Thank you. Thank you.